Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, November 10th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris as we continue our positional review series. Third base will be the position we focus on today. But first, an important question for Eno. Eno, how was Arizona? How was first pitch? It was a lot of fun. Uh, I stayed hydrated uh, and uh, got to see some, uh, some games. A first ever in the Arizona Fall League, a home run derby. Mm. Which uh, was weird because it went up against game six of the World Series, which I was also watching. I had a moment where I was watching uh, an 18-year-old first base prospect for the D-backs. I believe his uh, his last name is De Los Santos, and he looks as if he's 45 in the face. And uh, a prospect that I talked to at the Fall League said he is not a baseball player. Uh, and he was hitting 117 uh, mile per hour uh, P missiles, uh, you know, out of the park, second deck, you know, out of a small park. That was happening uh, as Jordan Alvarez hit a, was it a three run homer? Yeah. In that game. So a little bit of strange cognitive dissonance, a little bit of kind of like, What's going on here? And also, uh, at a scouting event to have a home run derby, which was massively popular, more popular than any other game I to- intended to, and maybe more popular than the All-Star game. Really? In terms of fan attendance. In terms of scouting, uh, not super useful, although I was hanging out with a scout that mentioned that at least you can kind of see where people's power is. So Eduardo Julian... Uh, who is was a surprising entrant uh, into the uh, into the um, home run derby because he's not he's kind of like a twenty home run guy maybe um, that is all about on base like that dude gets on base anyway Julian uh, was in there and he was trying to hit homers and I don't think he even made it out of the first round one of the things you could tell right away was his homers are oppo center so like he the, his swing when it hits for power is the opposite field. So there was a kind of, for me, a like, oh, I think he might be like sort of a 15 to 18 homer hitter in the majors, but maybe with a huge OBP. Um, and, you know, wasn't like a negative negative, but it was like, oh, I see where his power is. Heston Kirstad, on the other hand, who, uh, you know, smacked the ball around in the fall league and hit the ball hard every time I saw him, real nice sound off the bat, which is, uh, one of the few scouting things I like to do <laughs> that sounded like 102 uh, because they don't have all the they don't have all the stack cast numbers there. Um, he was spraying it around uh, in games 
and then uh, showed that he can golf kind of like low inside, uh, low pitches. He can golf those out for homers. So uh, that's an interesting combo. A guy who can kind of spray to all fields might have good plate coverage, and then his power is uh, sort of low, low inside. You know, as a lefty, that's interesting because sometimes you try they try to backfoot you. So if they're trying to backfoot you with a slider and you've got low and inside power, you might you might hit homers that way. While I think his contact rates and his ability to spray the ball speaks well for his batting average. So um, I came away really excited about Heston Kirstad. I think, uh, you know, uh, two years away because of myocarditis related to covid. That's uh, a tough situation to be in. And yet he looks uh, he looked he was actually one of my favorites, uh, maybe my favorite overall, which is saying something because Jordan Walker was there and he was everybody else's favorite. Um, there was just something weird for me and I didn't I didn't know how to put my finger on it. The types of players I like when I'm scouting, and it's definitely not my best foot forward, are kind of like, I've talked about it, like sort of... Uh, uh, Fire, uh, fire plug, uh, fire safety, fire, fire hydrant, hydrant. <laughs> fire hydrant, you know, just like there's a plug word too. Anyway, um, spark plug. Yeah. Spark plug, fire hydrant, like, like compact with like, with whippy hands and like real fast bat speed. I really like that combo. I don't even know who, who the patron saying of that is, but just like when I'm watching, I'm like, Ooh, I can see how fast the bat is and I can see the hands look like they might be able to get to things, you know? Um, so Walker's not that. Walker is a really big dude who looks, uh, to my eye, stiff in his swing across the top. Uh, and I don't I don't really see the hands for the variability. So um, to me, Walker is going to strike out 26 to 28% of the time in the in the major leagues. Um, and I know that he gets to, uh, really good, um, was it, uh, 90th percentile or max EV type stuff. He, he definitely has, uh, power despite, you know, to my eye, not having the greatest, um, uh, bat speed. I mean, it was, it's weird. I think how you generate the bat speed makes different bat speeds look more. You know what I mean? Like if you're just like a really strong guy that comes through like this, like comes through kind of stiff, then maybe the bat doesn't look as fast, but is as fast as someone who kind of whips it through. You know what I mean? In terms of just how it, how it appears. So I wouldn't be surprised if his bat speed is pretty good despite what I was saying, but I do think he's kind of stiff and it is interesting because he struck out 27% of the time at high a and 21.6 at double A, but he still had a 16.4% swing strike rate uh, at double A. So I really see him as ending up on the higher end of that strikeout rate, 26, 27% of the time in the major leagues, maybe with a good um, walk rate and good power rates, but that makes him a little bit more of your traditional power threat guy with like a 250 average, uh, maybe a 240 average, but with speed. So, um, I don't know. I I I wonder if I'm uh, if he's like immediately jumping into like the Nolan Arenado like you know top five is his position type guy. Like I, there was a little bit of like uh, I don't I, I don't know if I, I I don't know if I see as like a superstar here. Hmm. So that was those are some things, and then uh, some down um, down ballot 
observations. Matt Mervis has a really good approach, I think. He's a little stiff, too, uh, but he has a really good approach, so I think he will be that, um, you know, the 250-hitting slugger guy. Uh, but he he's, uh, seems really cerebral about his craft. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing a piece about uh, taking control of your own career, and uh, he said that when... Uh, you know, so they had that five round draft because of COVID and he was one of the people that didn't go in the first five rounds. And I said, well, that changed the power structure. Like you could go to any team you wanted to. They all had $20,000 for you. So how did you choose the, the uh, Cubs? And he said he made a spreadsheet where he had the current for all the teams that were talking to the current first baseman, his production, his age and his contract status their minor league first baseman and their production and age. <laughs> and then also how many, uh, pos- how many everyday position players they had produced out of their system in the last 10 years or something. And I was like, well, yeah, once you put it that way, I could see how you could exactly get to the Cubs. You know, <laughs> he was like looking at Rizzo in the final year of his contract, hadn't signed an extension. He's going, they don't have a first base prospect. And they turned out like Wilson Contreras and Brian and Rizzo. And they turned out a bunch of in Hap and, so they, they turned out a bunch of position players. So I thought that was interesting. And then there was a couple players there, Colt Keith and Nick York, who are kind of the the, the body types that I like, that kind of compact uh, baseball player um, with whippy hands and the ability to make contact. And they're both trying to do the same thing, which is take that ability to make contact and then unlock the power. And what's interesting about that is that power lives out in front of the in front of the plate so york and keith in the past have been guys who let the ball travel that helps your contact ability and you spray the ball right uh but if you want to get to that power you have to start earlier that's how you get to power out in front if you start earlier your strikeout rate goes up and so we've both seen nick york and colt keith's power uh, strikeout rate goes up now colt keith in the in the tigers organization has succeeded in unlocking the power Nick York has not. Um, and so I don't know if that's going to uh, continue, but it is an important moment in their career. And I asked Cole Keith about that, and he said, I'm trying to sit 97 if the guy throws 95. So uh, Keith is, you know, maybe doesn't have a position defensively. I think he'll, I think he'll, he'll be able to do third base for them. Uh, he's one of their more exciting names in the minor leagues, and he's exactly the type of guy that Scott Bush will like because if he comes from the Farhan school, Colt Keith uh, has tiny, tiny chase rates, like 18% type chase rates, uh, and also can put the bat in the ball, and it looks like right now he can barrel it. So uh, if you're just looking for a bat prospect that you know is on everybody's radar and isn't you know super top, top, uh, Colt Keith might be an interesting guy to acquire this offseason. Yeah, I bet it's more... As more sites and more analysts update their prospect list, he's going to start appearing probably at the back end of the top 100 somewhere. I don't know, 50 to 100, somewhere in that range, depending on who saw him and what they like about him. But uh, he was interesting to me just from a pure numbers perspective in season. Only played 48 games, I think, during the regular season at high A. So 2023 is going to be a huge year for Colt Keith, getting that bump up to double A to see if all those skills hold against that next level of competition. But definitely uh, interesting to learn you know, a little more about him and. Mervis being a big spreadsheet guy, <laughs> that's kind of a, a surprise. I, I don't always think of young ball players as the, the guys that are going to be the most spreadsheet 
oriented people on the planet. Duke engineer or something. Nice. Okay. So uh, he's got a plan. Uh, I like that. <laughs> anything else from the Fall League, from the conference, from uh, the Fall Stars game? Anything else that caught your eye? Because you were my, my eyes, ears, and liver out there this year. Yeah. Well, I took that bullet for you. Uh, the, <laughs> um, the everyone everyone missed you. I uh, was asking about you, and then um, the other thing was I was on panel uh, a couple panels for um, you know trying to decide you know the trends and also like what's going to happen with the new rules. And it's just interesting that there's not really a consensus. Um, you know, I, I saw a simulation of a a, a model of a of um, the new the new shifting rules. Um, where it might add 0.1 runs per inning. Uh, that's a massive change in the aggregate, if you're thinking about it. That's like, you know, we might jump a run per game. It's a big jump if that happens, yeah. It's a really big jump, and it and it puts pressure on um, uh, strikeout rate. You really want to have pitchers that strike guys out. Think about the Cardinals pitching staff and how they don't strike guys out. If all of a sudden you don't have the shift, um, maybe they are you know, more in trouble. Then you've got also um, a, a pressure on teams to have a lefty, at least one lefty in the bullpen in the rotation because lefties as a group are going to take a bigger, lefty batters as a group are going to take a bigger jump forward than righty batters because uh, lefty batters are more affected by the shift. I still don't know if it's going to be a, the funny thing about fantasy is, you know, do we care about these huge trends as much as we care about how each particular player is going to be affected? And I still don't know if there's going to be huge uh, jumps. But Derek Hardy showed that somebody like Anthony Rizzo, who I think uh, hit 238 last year, uh, could hit as high as 40 points higher, 35, 40 points higher. But that's that's if you give 100% of the difference to next year, right? You want to regress that because you don't, like it just doesn't, you know, he's also, he's not going to be exactly the same person he was last year, right? So there's like the player's talent is going to be changing. Um, and then, uh, you know, will teams find ways, like, will they start doing the left fielder plays, you know, Rover and right field uh, stuff? You know, will they start adjusting that way? So, and then there's just for me, like uh, a skepticism that any one rule change will like make one player way better. You know what I mean? Like it can change the game overall, but will it make one player like I, will one player play exactly the same way as last year and have a 45 point higher average next year? Like I just there's just I have this like weird internal skepticism. That's what's how it's going to work out. But uh, it could be massive changes to the game as a whole and still not be that massive for any one player. So uh, I I can't find a consensus in myself and i'm the king of wafflers so i'm just gonna you know throw that back and forth we're gonna talk about it more in the preseason and as this goes on there's gonna be more research in the fantasy space and in other spaces we're gonna talk about it uh all off season and then we'll finally get to see what it looks like but if you've got an opinion on it um next year is going to be a really interesting one if you act on your opinion and you and you and you and you go hard on whatever you know, wherever you think it's going, uh, you may end up uh, profiting for it.
Yeah, so I wonder what the most common strategies are going to be. I, I think there's going to be a lot of people who look at uh, hitters who lost hits to the shift, as we talked about, geez, probably two months ago now. It's been a little while since we did that. I think that's going to be the main thing that a lot of people do on the hitting side. Seeger, Olsen, Freeman, Soto. Yeah, those types of players are going to get bumps, or people are going to try and... and punt batting average with a core of players like that and then hope that they actually do really well in batting average and then have everything else covered and that it's a crush year, a year where you can win an overall championship if you are right about something like that and you've got a bunch of players that kind of fall into that bucket. I do think the the possibility of people pushing even harder on strikeouts is kind of interesting because it it wasn't necessarily something that I've seen in the early, early 2023 drafts yet. But as time passes, as people think more and more about how next season could be different, maybe that'll be one of the corrective actions. We'll see strikeouts go at even more of a premium on the pitching side. It also runs counter to some of the newest research when it comes to pitching. If you think about it, something like Stuff Plus is uh, trained against run value. Um, and so it there's inherently... Um, a decision being made there by the model to say, uh, you know, we're just looking that like to kind of not throw dips defensive, you know, defense independent pitching out the out the window, uh, but to say maybe it's not completely right, right? Like if you think about it, if you train your model against run value, you're saying how do pitchers get outs, right? And you're willing to consider command, you know, you know, locations. You're willing to consider. Uh, uh, run like you like home run suppression, which people are like, maybe that exists, maybe it doesn't. You're willing to consider it hit suppression, which you know for a long time people think didn't exist at all. That's dips. Dips says play pitchers have no control over over hits. You know, once the ball's in play, it's thirty percent of the time it's a hit, no matter what. And so you know, stuff has been like, oh no, but maybe there are certain pitch shapes and velocities and and locations that suppress hits and and hitters and pitchers that can do those things over and over again. And so you get somebody like Drew Rasmussen and Tyler Wells, where you're like, I know the strike cards aren't there, but the ERA is the run values there. They're doing something to suppress this. Um, so that's interesting to think about, you know, with regards to now there's more pressure on strikeout rate because of shifts. And, and the fact that Stuff Plus has only been trained on 20 21 and 22 in terms of that's the that's the the training data right so that's a different time than before and now that's coming up this is going to be a different league so we're, as soon as we can start you know putting more 2023 training data into the model to get better again uh, but in the meantime we're kind of naked so one thing that i'm trying to do to combat this is to work on creating stuff plus projections where we're projecting it out. Now you can sort of see a projected strikeout rate thanks to pitching plus, right? And um, and it'll be an overall projection. So you can kind of start to make some of your own granular decisions. You can sort by projected strikeout rate uh, by stuff plus as opposed to, you know, the other models that are out there. And then you can still kind of cue close to strikeout rate, but still get benefit from stuff plus. Yeah, a lot of exciting stuff ahead in these next few months. And before we start looking forward, we will continue to look back and take the last few drops that we can out of the 2022 season, the last few things we can learn before we move on to 2023. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So the main focus today is the third base review. And I was a little bit underwhelmed looking at the top end of this pool, you know, because the best players at the position mostly did what they were supposed to do. Jose Ramirez, I mean, he he was exactly the player you thought and could have been even better if not for the thumb injury. Rafael Devers, Manny Machado did what you expected. I mean, there was a late second half fade that we'll talk about with Devers, but up and down through the first six or seven third basemen on the board, it's almost like they earned exactly what they were expected to one after another. It's the it's the weirdest position because it's it's the it's almost chalk, right? It's the chalk position. There's there are almost no surprises. I'm 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 picking this number because it makes my point. But um, it, it if you could see the the spreadsheet that. The DVR is made for these uh, episodes. It's so clear. $19 earned value, right? So $19 earned value among third basemen. The only people that created $19 of value at third base are the first seven players that were drafted and Brandon Drury. That's it. And Brandon Drury was very last. Brandon Drury was just a pure (laughs) afterthought during draft season and then an early season pickup most places. But... This was not the position for surprises. This was not the position for sleepers. This was not the position to be like, oh, I'll wait on a guy. It did not work out if you waited on a guy. You know, uh, Josh Donaldson at 168, $3.70 value. Uh, uh, Juan Mancata at 159. Uh, you know, what was it? I lost him in there. Negative Minus value. $1, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Luis Urias, one of my favorite sleepers, only three dollars. Uh, you know, Gio Urshela, uh, Patrick Wisdom, Eugenio Suarez. You know, there were some late guys that had some strikeout issues or some power issues that weren't sexy, but you knew were going to get playing time. Uh, those guys, you know, returned double digit value. But do you do you think of them as sleepers? They were just kind of like. Oh man, I missed everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I guess I should take this guy. Or like guys you'd have in a DC because they had multiple positions, you know, where you're like, ooh, Giorgella can play third and short. I like that. So, you know, there are ways to describe them, but like in terms of like a true sleeper at the position that was going to outperform his draft costs, I, when I think of sleepers going in, who do you think of? I think of Cabrian Hayes, uh, maybe Anthony Rendon in a way, like sort of a, you know, you know, bounce back sleeper type. Um, and then maybe Luis Urias. And I, you know, if you picked those three, even uh, you had a poor time at third base this year. 
Yeah, I think the other two, the older player that I thought was popping later in draft season as a possible rebound candidate was Eugenio Suarez. And I think that was uh, that was definitely a Derek Cardi Twitter th- thread at one point where it was like, hey, he projected well before before the shoulder injury and before the shortened season in 2020. Look what he was doing year over year over year. Why are we letting this guy fall this far? He was a $15 player outside the top 200 overall in ADP. So that ended up being good. And then if you go down to Alec Bohm, that turned out pretty good as well for as late as he went because Bohm fell quite a bit during draft season in 2022 oh, compared right. to his There's previous levels. Player down there, yeah. But a lot of the other cheap players that did well also did it with pretty light power. Gio Urshela, very light power, a lot of batting average. Bohm, not that great power. Yeah, Bohm's in that group too. Yandy Diaz, I mean, it's $11, oh, but is it really, is it, is it that great? I mean, I guess it's better. it's better than some of the alternatives. But third base is also, it's kind of like getting a middle infielder who doesn't steal, right? To get a third baseman who doesn't hit for power. Then you're like, yes, I know what the value calculator is telling me. I know the value calculator says that Gio Urshela was a fine third baseman that returned $10 of value um, and was, you know, helped my team. But at the same time, if I'm playing him at third, I've got a power hole somewhere else I got to fill. I was trying to think about why, why this position looks this way. And I think it's because it is a position where if you don't have a stud, you absolutely can mix and match now. And it's kind of part, mm-hmm. it's treated a little bit more like second base for teams that don't have the clear everyday player. I wonder how much that'll change with the shift because the, the, we saw that research that said the shift will put pressure on second and third defensively. So I, that's, you know, you're fine if you're Suarez, but like, you know, there's some guys on here, Bobby Dalbeck. Eduardo Escobar, um, you know, I don't know. Who has bad defense at this position? I guess it's already starting to kind of move towards better defenders. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. I, I think you, but you leak playing time when you share like this. And the positions where that happens, I think, are positions now where you have to be a little more aggressive early on. You know, you you could have survived in the, in the middle. You could have survived with... Ryan McMahon or Matt Chapman, where they were going to pick 140, 150, 160 in that range. Cabrian Hayes was a guy that we both liked. We both liked him for a while. I think we both had reason to believe he was going to unlock more in-game power. And it just didn't happen. And it's frustrating because I think they're still going to give him another full season to figure it all out, if not more. (laughs) I think I'll probably have shares again. I mean, I just love that he steals bases and and I think he'll hit for a better average going forward considering the strikeout rate and then the the raw power is still there. I don't know why the barrel rate keeps going down. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. The barrel rate keeps going down and the max EV keeps going up. Like what is going on? I know it's too many grounders. I get it. But he, his grounder rate also went down from 57% in 2021 to 49% this year. Like all the indicators for me are going in the right direction. Still has a good chase rate. Still has a good contact rate, really good contact rate, and still has good max power. The only thing that's not there is the barrel rate. Like I, he's got to unlock that. Andy Haynes, help me out, man. <laughs> unlock this. Unlock this. Very, very frustrating, though, because, yeah, the barrel rate going down in the face of other things getting better is just puzzling. You would have thought this was the year where you'd start to see some improvement. So maybe you get more of a discount on Hayes relative to where he was going in 2022. That's definitely a possibility. But seeing how this played out, are you going to continue to be aggressive in the early rounds? Is getting an, getting an elite third baseman 
one of your core roster priorities. Seems seems kind of like uh, that's what this is just screaming at me. Although I guess I would point out that uh, there was a middle class. Um, Muncie, Turner, LeMahieu, McMahon, and Chapman. Uh, like it really was chalk. But you could survive in the middle class too because as long as you missed that Anthony Rendon landmine, uh, Muncie, Turner, LeMahieu, McMahon, and Chapman averaged basically $10. So that's not your $19 first baseman, uh, a third baseman, but it's still... There is a middle class, you know what I mean? Like it's still, and Hayes was just below that. So um, I think that I'm a little bit more likely if I'm going to bite at Hayes again, which I probably will, uh, just more likely to pick him up at CI or Util or, you know, uh, second, third baseman in a DC, that type deal where um, I'm not depending on him. And it's more of like, you know, could you take a step forward and, and, and help this team more than your draft costs? So I'm thinking of him more as a positionless sleeper, not someone where I want to put him at third base. So, um, you know, I could I could shop in in that um, in that middle class again. Um, you know, I think McMahon is fine. I think Chapman is fine. LeMahieu could have a better year next year. Uh, Muncie should have a better year next year. So, you know, any one of those guys uh, is fine. I don't necessarily have to reach. Uh, for like Alex Bregman, who is clearly the worst of the top, um, if if I think the middle class is there for me, uh, but it does make me think that I don't want to make third base the place where I'm picking late. You know, I want to stay out of the Bobby Dahlbeck, Jonathan VR, Heimer Candelario, Luis Urias, Nicky Lopez, you know, Josh Harrison, Bobby Dahl, you know, that whole group. You know, like I don't want to, I don't want to be shopping down there. And, and Donaldson's going to be in there this next year too, so I, you know, I want to get my third baseman before pick two hundred. That's that's almost a real rule. That's almost a fast rule for me. Donaldson's going to go really late, so if you want to take a chance in third third DCs, baseman in a DC, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, pick four hundred is a possibility for him. So I think there will be some young players getting opportunities. We saw. I mean, Bobby Witt Jr. added third base eligibility, so I'll at least have it for this season. He's up in the first round. And and there are people in that organization that think he's going to end up there long term. Now, you know, in the short term, I don't really see a real defensive problem. But, uh, you know, the fact that he split games there in his first year and people in the organization think he's going to end up there, you kind of where the smoke, there's fire. Like he may in a keeper league, it's something to think about. He may not be at short for a super long time. Yeah. But uh, he's an impact bat, so I don't know how much you care. So the really early 2023 ADPs, you know, Jose Ramirez, early first round, Witt, top 10, Machado back at the first round. Now, he basically was a first rounder going in the second round this past season. Devers hasn't really moved at all. Austin Riley kind of backed up 2021. I, I think maybe I was in a large group of people that believe this. I thought 2021 was going to be the best possible season from Austin Riley. He came out, hit five more homers, and proved that it actually might not be his best season. He could have one more level or more seasons that are similar in quality to these last two. Arenado's inside the top 50. Then you get this big drop. Bregman, even with what he was doing in the postseason in early drafts, has been discounted. I think he's going to start moving up because it's become increasingly clear that for the better part of the last two seasons, he wasn't healthy. But for the later part of this one and the playoffs, he actually was, and the performance was coming back to the previously expected levels. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, Bregman, 
and Machado both give me this uh, an interesting vibe, which is they're really good players, um, and and Machado is going to end up top three in the MVP race um, with like these weird soft barrel rates. I don't understand it. Here are the other players that had the same barrel rate as Manny Machado last year. Juan Moncada, Josh Donaldson, and Gunnar Henderson. Uh, I had to keep... That was like a, a low number there for Gunnar. But isn't that weird to you? Uh, then, then again, Manny Machado had the highest hard hit rate of the group. Um, and the highest max EV. So like he is hitting the ball hard. And... Maybe that's not that's super useful, but Bregman is also uh, by barrel rate not in the top thirty among third base. <laughs> that's just not really his strength. Like that's just not it's not what he does. And that's sort of like what Manny's like, right? Like Manny, I mean, Manny's better than Bregman, but Manny doesn't strike out, and he walks, and he'll steal you a few bases, and he hits for enough power, and because of that strikeout rate, he's going to drive in a ton of runs and. He's had better better barrel rates in the past, and so maybe that'll go back up. I think he's a good bet, but it is funny that you know I fetishize barrel rate and I love it. Uh, but you know you have a thirty year old uh, Manny and a twenty eight year old uh, Bregman with these kind of poor barrel rates relative to their production that are going to be in the uh, in the top. There does it matter to you at all? It matters some. The this is where I, this is where DVR picks nits and people get upset. Yeah, is Manny going to be behind Devers for you next year? Mm, probably not. But because Devers will be slightly cheaper, I'll probably end up with more Devers because the difference between them is so small. This is the problem. I think when when Manny Machado returns first round value and goes at first round. ADPs, I go away. And when Manny Machado falls around or even around and a half, whatever it might be, that's when I'm in. So it just it all my interest in him continually yeah, I was really fluctuates. Happy to get him, you know, he was my second round pick in 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 my main this year, and you know there was a couple places where I was really happy to get him in the second round. When he goes in the first, I'm just like, no, I mean I could get, I see it, you know, I see it, and maybe it, you know he turned thirty, returned thirty two dollars this year. Was was the second best third baseman out of position? We just said that it doesn't run deep. So, and it's not like he costs you in, in steals. He'll probably steal another five bases at least next year. What do you make of Devers? His second half, you know, he he was weirdly unproductive in the second half. I think he hit twenty two homers in his first eighty six games and only five in his last fifty five. Hit three twenty four in the first half. Dropped down to two forty nine in the second half. Strikeout rate, Oof, man, I'm looking at the, the WRC plus difference too. It was a the strikeout rate wasn't that different. He went from 18% to 19.4%, so that doesn't really answer it. He walked more in the second half. So what, what happened? Was he hiding an injury? Is there something else that, that changed with Devers that we don't know about? Like I, I, just, I, don't, I don't know why he was so good in the first half and why he fell so hard in the second half. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, you know his uh, his O swing. You know, I, do, I love to do that rolling O swing graph on Fangraphs, um, and uh, it, even though he's not good at that, it it improved over the course of the season, right? Um, 
that's where you, you said he walked more in the second half. You know, he wasn't. It wasn't because he was swinging at terrible stuff. Even though he kind of he does that a lot. Um, I look at his fly ball rate over time, and his fly ball rate uh, was higher in the in the second half. Uh, one thing I was thinking about is that, you know, he's people talk about him as having some problem with his velo, right? Like he's a guy who uh, hits secondary as well. But I think the book on him is to kind of buzz him, um, you know, to buzz him with uh, with the fastball. So I'm looking right now at his production against uh, four seamers by month last year. Um, four seamers over 96 miles an hour. And uh, he slugged on four seamers over 96 miles an hour. He slugged 125 in August and 143 in September. And in a related matter, uh, those were the two of the three months he saw the most four seamers over 96. So I think that's a big part of what's going on. Now, wasn't there some injury, like a hand injury, or was that the year before? Um, scrolling back through the updates now, because I don't remember anything being reported that kept him out for a long time. He had a hamstring injury that cost him some time in July in the very first couple days of August, but it wasn't, it was tw- it wasn't a long injury. It was injury. 21 when he had a hand injury like in, in the playoffs and stuff. Yeah, it must have been 21. Back injury a little bit in July called lower back pain back in early July. He slugged 923 in May and 1 167 over 1000 uh in June against four seamers over 96 and then he just went in the tank. So, oh, let me look at where these are actually placed. So the four seamers he saw late, okay, they were above the zone and high and tight uh and tight with a little bit out. Let me see when he was slugging well in June. Where did he see them? They were... Oh, that's interesting. They expanded the zone above the zone on him. That's interesting. So later when he was slugging really poor on four-seamers, they were outside of the zone up. So when they were pitching him up, they went outside of the zone. And it looks like he was still swinging at them. That's what I see in August and September. Um, so he's expanding the zone on pitches, especially up out of the zone, and it's going really poorly for him. That's, I mean, is that does that raise the level of they've figured him out? Took a little time to do it. I mean, the book was always on him that that he was really good, but. He chased, right? That's that's a butt that I've said every time I've talked about him. I think. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's difficult. And you're not really getting a discount. I mean, he's going early, early drafts, going around pick twenty. So it's not it's not as though people are backing off. Yeah, tell me tell me what the ADP is for the the top four. It goes Ramirez, Witt, Machado, Devers, and Riley's right there with Devers. I think when we talked about a midseason, Riley versus Devers was something we thought could become a toss-up, so it's kind of funny to see those two next to each other. I mean, Riley versus Devers, if you had to make the decision right now, you're drafting today for next season. Riley. You're taking Riley if the price is equal. Yeah, I think I have to as well. So I have Devers as last of that group, I think. How about Devers versus Arenado? 
There's a 30-pick difference right now in terms of where they're going. That's probably a bigger difference than there should be. Yeah, I think I would just look at at Arenado and be like, I'm going to pass. There is a little bit of a game of chicken there, right? So so that's really interesting. So Devers is the last of like sort of the elite group. And then you've got a 30-pick 30, 30 difference to Arenado. And then Bregman's going to be around Arenado somewhere? He'll get there. He's 35 picks behind him now, but I bet he'll close some of that gap. So you're gonna so you're gonna look at Devers and be like, mm, I like him. The auction calculator says I like him, but I've got this thing about, oh man, like they really kind of figured him out late last season. I'm just gonna I'm gonna pick something else. I'm gonna pick a closer here or a starter. I'm gonna do something different because I think I can go get Arenado and Bregman, you know, in the next round or in you know 30 picks. Yeah, next round because you're you had to finish your round and then whatever, right? So. Yeah, I'll just take I'll just take Arenado or Bregman the next time we come around. What if they both go? Then you're in the middle class. Then you just took a dive from Bregman to Muncie or McMahon. Yeah, you're back to the guys that either got hurt last year or have some kind of major flaw, or the younger guys who just haven't done it for very long. I mean, Gunnar Henderson. So then you have to be like. I, you have to not only be willing to wait for Arnott on Bregman, which I think is defensible and fine, but know that there's a risk that you are taking a, a, a third baseman around 150 that's you're hoping will give you $10 value. I think I'd rather have an early third baseman, but I'm also not going to panic because I think there are some mid-tier players that are good enough. I think when you look back at the consistency we we're talking about, Matt Chapman was fine. Matt Chapman's yeah. not really going that much McMahon earlier than he did last fine. year. Turner returned 12 bucks somehow. McMahon's cheaper. I still believe in Anthony Rendon, so yeah, I'll, I'll wear the the doofus crown on this one. <laughs> he hasn't been playing. He's been hurt. Like I, I just don't I don't yeah. think he has a skill set that's going to just collapse. I think it's just a matter of staying on the field. If he stays on the field, you get him at pick 200, you're going to be really happy with that. If he's yeah. broken all the time and he's a, a younger version of Josh Donaldson, well, I'm really sorry for that, but I think he's in my group of, oh, crap, I don't have a third baseman early. What combination of players am I going to get in the middle rounds who I think can bail me out of it? And I don't think you would, clearly you would not take Rendon as your starting third baseman without someone else who's third base eligible as part of your core. You need to you need to get a second one. I hope that's very clear and obvious. But then you're like, if you're looking back at last year and you come out of the draft next year with like Rendon and Cabrian Hayes and you're like, oh, looks, I got the old guy and I got the young guy and I'll be fine. Look back at last year. You're, you're, you're way behind your peers. I am the golden retriever on this show and I thought that was a good idea. So <laughs> That's all. if it was a good idea last year, I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try it again at a discount. There's another interesting thing that came out of um, uh, out of the panels I was on. Um, Rob Silver was talking about how uh, the NLDH created not specifically uh, 15 $5 players, but basically the value that you would get from 15 $5 players, hmm. right? Uh, by, by opening up this new roster spot. So... Uh, that made me think that um, around, and then you have to think about um, just how how tough pitching is. Is around five dollars? I'm not as interested in those players anymore on the offensive level. I think 
around and around five dollars projected value, I'm more likely to take the pitcher and then hope I can just find a five dollar player. And looking back on this situation, I think going into the season, you would have projected Juan Moncada as easily a five dollar player, right? Um, and Cabrian Hayes and Josh Donaldson and Eduardo Escobar, those all those guys that went between 150 and 200, uh, you would have predicted as five dollar players. Um, some of them ended up as $5 players. A lot of them didn't. I think that's super fungible. At that point, uh, you might as well just go down to the Eugenio Suarez, uh, Gio Urshela, Pactor Wisdom crowd, Haseon Kim. You know, it's like, uh, I think, and and over the course of the season, those guys are bubbling up. If you just held on to Josh Donaldson at third base all season, that is rough, dude. Getting $3 out of your third baseman is rough, especially since that cost you the chance to get a pitcher there. Um, so that's just a just a, a little asterisk, is that the $5 position player has become less valuable to me because of the NLDH. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is meme mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. It's kind of a philosophical question. Do you find it more difficult to cut a player like Josh Donaldson, someone at least on the wrong side of 30? I realize he's even a few years older than that. But who still projects well and is still barreling the ball and isn't chasing. and Right. Are you more likely to get caught holding that player and absorbing more of that disappointing season than you are with a young player? If you take a chance on this year, it'll be someone like Josh Young around pick 200. Are you going to be quicker and more willing to cut the high ceiling young player if it's not working out? I mean, and that's assuming you don't get the obvious cue of option to triple A which then is a clear in a mixed league drop indication. But for like Bobby Dalbeck, like man. Yeah. I would, I, there's, I never would have held on to Bobby Dalbeck. And, and Heimer Candelario, I never would have held on to him in like an NFPC situation. I held on to him in some keeper situations. But, you know, I, uh, th- yeah, those guys I would never have held on to. I don't, think, I don't think I held on to Urias, actually. I think I dropped and picked up Luis Urias a couple times over the course of the season. You know, like I was like, I'm not, I'm not hanging around for this, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, there were some leagues where I held on to Josh Donaldson and Juan Makata too long. 
Um, and they just make you... That's why. That's another reason why I think the $5 player is a little bit of a siren song. You know, it's like, oh, $5 of production. This is actual production. It's, it's real production. Except there's all this... There's 15 new $5 players, you know? And, like, they're much more fungible than you might think. And especially since uh, projections around that spot, you just... Yeah, it could be $5. It could be $0. And the projections wouldn't be necessarily that wrong. You know what I mean? Like, there's the error bars on it. A $5 projection means that he could be anywhere from 0 to 10 without really breaking the projection system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that means there's a lot of zeros there. A few other pop-up guys from 2022 that will be much earlier picks going into 2023. Jose Miranda is a top 150 guy now going into next season. Hmm. I liked him a lot as a as a prospect, as a guy that really did well in the upper levels of the twin system, and it seemed like there were some opportunities for him. So I had him a few places. I didn't have him everywhere because it wasn't crystal clear at the beginning of the season. Ended up being 15 homers in his rookie season. We saw we saw enough homers in 2021. It was 30 between double A AA and triple A and 127 combined games where I can talk myself into one more level being a possibility for him. I'm curious. Even though it, the max power and the barrel rates aren't amazing. Right, but we see that from other players, the position, and we kind of look past it with them. So I guess it's a question of do we trust the playing time enough for Miranda to say, yeah, let's go ahead and let's do this again. Let's, uh, let's, let's get the follow-up year because there could be 20-plus homers there uh, as he enters the season as a clear-cut starter. I think I do, uh, you know, with that, I, it's a poor chase rate, poor walk rate, poor defensive value, uh, not great uh, barrel rate. So there's a lot of negatives there. However, uh, you know, it is a plus contact rate and probably enough power to hit 20 to 25 homers. And if you think about the twins, I know that they've, they've put up good offenses, but I think they need to put a premium on offense, you know, as they are currently constructed. Now, can they spend that Correa money on Correa again or somebody else? That's certainly possible. But as they are currently constructed, I need Miranda at first base. I don't want Luis Rise at first base. You know, I want Kirilov in the outfield. Um, so I think he's I think he's fine. I think he'll play, especially since DH is is open for them now. Miguel Sano is gone. Yeah, that helps a lot too, just in terms of having a few few spots to play. Uh, Miranda and, and Alex Kirilov, if he's healthy, or Trevor Larnack, like those guys, all should have larger roles uh, over the course of of 2023. Somebody might lose out of their group, uh, considering, you know, Miranda, Kirilov, and Larnack are probably all uh, competing for DH, left field, and first base. Now you're saying, hey, there's three guys, there's three jobs, that's fine, but uh, that assumes no more moves, you know. And, um, you know, also no more moves at first base where there, there are guys out there. They could sign like Jose Abreu. Would that be that weird for this team? It wouldn't be. No, probably not. I mean, they've got to figure out what they're going to do at shortstop, whether that's eventually turn it over to Royce Lewis and, and just, you know, with Correa being a free agent, just saying, yeah, we're not really going to replace him with the other free agents. We're going to replace him internally. They need to spend but money Lewis on pitching. coming off a second ACL tear, right? Yeah, so it's just hard to rely on him, at least from the start of the season. I can't imagine he's 100% on opening day. That would be an incredible recovery. Hopefully he can make it, but I, I, I don't think they would bank on that. That seems like a pretty 
risky thing to do and Polanco at that position. moving back to short is not something that most Twins fans want to hear about. No, no, they uh, they do not. Um, I do like Josh Young, though, of the young players. I, I get the sense that the Rangers are going to turn that spot over to him. And we've talked about this before. If not for you know, the foot injury and the time he's missed, he probably would have debuted a lot sooner. Uh, I think he saw so little time in the big leagues that it's difficult to even take much away from the results. I know he struck out 38% of the time for the brief time he was with the Rangers this year, Eno, but we're talking about 102 plate appearances. And even the also time at AAA. Injury, right? Yeah, even the time at AAA this year didn't look nearly as good as what he's doing at AAA a season ago when he was healthier by comparison. I'm looking a lot more at those 2021 numbers and thinking and projecting off of that as opposed to what happened this year. You know, it'd be interesting to think, think about when you draft. And, you know, we, t- we talk about uh, spring training numbers not meaning anything. But, however, they're still playing baseball. And, you know, I think it's a little bit overstated how... Uh, people say, "Oh, it's inconsistent uh, competition." Uh, Young will probably be will probably be playing the early innings, right? Like if you've ever watched a spring training game, there's the early innings and late innings. Young will probably be starting the early innings, so he'll probably be you know hitting against decent pitchers, right? And it's baseball, and it's high level baseball still, and it's information. And one of the few things that comes out early is strikeout rate. So if you want to like watch for something on Young. Watch a strikeout rate in spring training. It may seem like, oh, I don't care about spring training, but we might get signal out of that noise. If he's striking out 20% of the time in spring training, I'm a lot more interested. You know what I mean? That looks a lot more like the Josh Young we saw pre-injury. He's striking out 20% of the time in spring training. I'm not necessarily projecting him for 20% in the regular season, but he might beat that 28% projected strikeout rate he's got right now. And then if he beats that 28% strikeout rate then he beats the 237 average he's projected for by Steamer. And if he beats the 237 average he's projected for, he's a 250 hitter with 25 bombs next year and probably some stolen bases. And probably in the middle third of a good lineup, too. Yeah, so that 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 looks like somebody I want. I like the chase rate. I like the barrel rate in the short sample last year. I like the minor league numbers. Like, Yeah, I like him. So I think if I'm in that mid-tier, he's among the players that I'm going to try and pair with someone who goes a little earlier because I want I want some ceilings, and some of the mid-tier guys don't necessarily have a lot of that. Uh, and by the way, the, the first player I thought of when you said you know, spring training stats and not completely dismissing that, remember Cody Bellinger's spring in 2022? 18 strikeouts and 36 at-bats. I mean, there were the warning signs were there, and I was more on the side of, oh, come on, he's just a little rusty, he's, Still dealing with the long-term effects of that shoulder injury. I, I'm sure I, I tried to convince myself that MVP Bellinger was just around the corner, and well, that was actually a pretty good red flag. There's a really good piece on Bellinger, and it ended up uh, being not so much the shoulder injury as a foot injury that he had. Um, and the person who wrote that piece just got hired by the Dodgers, so I recommend looking that up. Prospects Live, uh, Cody Bellinger. I'm a forever Cody Bellinger apologist. I will, I will, I will pick him three years from now when he's on his third team um the (laughs) the other name that i was just uh circling uh the san francisco giants have a big choice to make right now they are looking at evan longoria they can pay him five million dollars i believe to go away or uh 13 million dollars to play for them next year either way i think jd davis is an important name for them because i don't know that they're going to sign brandon belt there's just something about how it ended 
uh, and the fact that they're talking about wanting to get younger and how well J.D. Davis played when he came over that it's possible that Evan Longoria plays third and J.D. Davis plays first for them next year. Um, you know, I think that's in the realm of possibilities. But either way, J.D. Davis returns $0, which is not negative, uh, and is one of these... Is he kind of like... Is he almost like Drury-esque? Why didn't we think of him when we were talking about Drury? It's a, it's a veteran who can do certain things and it has opportunity. He's a barreler that can play probably multiple spots in the infield if needed. Likely the two yeah. corners. Universal DH definitely helps him. No yeah. no doubt about that. And the question is, can can the Giants get the strikeout rate closer to where it was pre-2021? Because he's been above 30% going back to the start of the 2021 season. Prior to that, we saw a 24.5 back in the shortened year. We saw a 21.4% back in 2019. So it, it seems like it's in there. But he is... Going to be 30 years old in April. Or is he a guy that can hit the ball hard enough that he can strike out 30% of the time and still be valuable? I mean, last year he had a 56% hard hit rate. Easily a career best. It's got to be. Uh, let me see where that, that would be. If it, if it, Oh, my God. If he qualified for the batting title, that would have been third best in baseball behind Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez and ahead of Kyle Schwaba. Schwaba. Hmm, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. I take that. I will take that. So that is enough for me to put J.D. Davis as, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know if I'll push. Like you think about, I think about DCs with a player like this. You know what I mean? Sure. Like is he is he like a second first baseman or is he a third first baseman? He's right. He's right in that territory. Probably a third. I would. Yeah. I would treat him as a third because there is still within his normal range of outcomes, he is the Darren Ruff replacement player. and he's more yeah. of a part-time player. Yeah, he could be a part-time player. He's younger but Darren a, Ruff a, if it doesn't work A really work fun out. third first baseman and, and I would say, be careful about your third first baseman. Do not make him a prospect. I have made my third first baseman a prospect in the past and it has bitten me in the butt. The, this is what we've been talking about, right? First base and third base, these are places where you can go into part-time play and you know you can, it can get it can get hairy early. There's usually a guy in the organization, an older player that can play both those spots well enough. Yeah. With power and, you know, an ample glove. Like that's sort of the way it goes. Just someone who's good enough if you are bad to take your job. I got even if they're not no, good enough to be the long-term solution. I had no use out of Luan Diaz as my third first baseman in DC's last year. <laughs> hmm. That's I tough. Would recommend going in a different direction. <laughs> I do think this is a better year for the young third baseman, though. We'll count Gunnar Henderson as part of that. Josh mm. Young's part of that. Jordan Walker, even though he's going to probably move into the outfield to get that playing time because of Arenado. He looks like he's going to step right out of the Arizona Fall League into, into playing time, yeah. Right, so he's a third base eligible player that we're pretty excited about that can do some things outside of the top 200 and early drafts. We'll see what kind of happens there. Brett Beatty, I'm really interested to see if the Mets mm. want another stopgap on the roster, a short-term bridge to possibly wait a little longer on him. But I think there's a chance he could just op open up the year as the starter at third base, or at least open up the year with a large share of the job at third base with a chance to earn the everyday role. Yeah, especially because it's uh, a team that, Frankly, it's a little bit bloated, like financially, right? Like, the, like how much more can they spend? And they've got Escobar on the roster. 
Would you say he took a step back last year? I mean, I think at least he took a step back defensively. Uh, you know, offensively, he was kind of where he was last year. But in terms of at least Fangraph's defensive value was his worst year of his career. Uh, and that, I think, passes a little bit the eye test for me. So Escobar, for me, I want to be pushing him towards, especially with the shift va- with the shift this year, I feel like Eduardo Escobar, you kind of, you know, we're putting more defensive uh, pressure on third and second. We may want to push Escobar, not necessarily into DH, but closer to roles where his defense doesn't matter as much, is what I'm saying. So if that's true, uh, then you kind of, you play Escobar, uh, at DH and, you know, you maybe start a game with him at third base or something and move him somewhere else, depending on what's going on. And then Beatty becomes a better defensive player for you at third base. I would, I would assume given that Escobar's defense is falling off. So there's some moving parts. There's also, uh, right now McNeil is listed as playing half the time in right field, uh, ahead of Mark Hanna. If that's true, then you can move Escobar to second and play Beatty and just play McNeil as an outfielder. Uh, that's a possibility. Or play Beatty in the outfield. So right now, Beatty is projected at 16% of the playing time at third base by Fangraphs and 20% of the time in left field. That suggests to me like that's that's a decent opportunity for him to uh, start start the year with them. And, and for me, the big part of why I believe is because at AA, among qualified hitters, Brett Beatty had the highest WRC plus at level this season. 160 there's a, WRC plus. There's a, uh, there's a, I think there's a, uh, another to-do list thing item for you in spring training. If you can wait is to just, is for Beatty, I think it's plate appearances. You yeah, how, much, see, how much are they running him out there? Yeah. If he leads the Mets in plate appearances, they're trying to give him a good look. And yeah, I guess then I would then look over at results and I don't look over at results and say those results are the results he's going to get in the league. But if he's if they're giving him a lot of playing time and he's playing well, that that just looks to me that's sort of remember Julio Rodriguez? It's like, oh, they're giving him a ton of playing time and he's playing awesome. Like at some point you're like, uh, should we just put him on the roster? <laughs> that way, that way. Yeah. Should we just start the season with him? Like, why are we going to send him down? <laughs> there was some point during the off season when I looked at the Mariners' projections for last year, and they, Rodriguez was projected to be their third or fourth best hitter by the <laughs> yeah, bat. Right, yeah. I looked at him like they want to go to the playoffs this year. They kind of need to just let him play and make yeah. sure that he's not that good. If they're if they're gonna oh. send him down, like prove it first because Maybe they do don't that. have great alternatives. Steamer is up. Maybe uh, we can do that. Hey, I'm gonna Steamer. do that. I'm gonna do that same game with the Mets. It won't be as as bad because the Mets have a lot of good hitters. Let me see where Beatty ranks. Third. Third. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have a new Julio. He's not Julio Rodriguez. No. He's not. He's, he's, uh, I assure you, he is not. <laughs> but that's crazy. And here's a big one. Higher than Daniel Vogelbach, which might be might be a bar that people have to clear, right? Because they could trade Daniel Vogelbach pretty easily. I think. Vogelbach yes. seems pretty fungible. So if they think Beatty, here's a player with defensive value that we can put in, and maybe Escobar starts DHing. I love that he's third. That just that just really worked out, didn't it? <laughs> worked out real. I didn't know that going in, and it it's bringing me a lot of joy. 
It's a little surprising to me. Like I am a little skeptical of that. That is pretty awesome. (laughs) I would have guessed outside the top five. Yeah, me too. So um, a pleasant surprise for me, perhaps a slightly unpleasant surprise for Mets fans. But stop worrying, Mets fans. <laughs> you have limitless budget and an owner that really wants to add and add and add. Right yeah, now. that's so, the other thing. I mean, you want to wait for spring training on some of these teams because you feel like you don't know what the depth chart looks like yet. It's so awful uh, drafting in November. I think I might not do as much this year. It's like good to like keep keep the the bre- the juices flowing, but. Then you look back and you're like, why did I pick those people? Well, because you didn't know. I have found in the handful of very early drafts I've done that I'm a little ahead of some folks with where I'm at because I didn't stop. So mm. it tends to be a slight advantage, but there are plenty of situations that we're all going in blind. I think the, the place where I'm the weakest this early is actually allocating resources to relievers. And even with the pitching plus model and having access to all that information, it's still, you could just be wrong, not because the pitcher isn't good, but because the roles didn't break the right way. An, or they sign another guy. They just, <laughs> the, 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 the guys, you took shots in a few places and those guys ended up being the eighth inning guy instead of the ninth inning like guy. Stuff well, plus, pitching plus loves Joe Barlow uh, and Scott Barlow, like you know, likes the Barlows. It's got a thing for the Barlows. And if you, and if you, and you like Scott Barlow and then the Royals are like, eh, I'm going to trade him. We're not going to be great this year. They got Piccolo in there now. And he's like, well, the reliever, not worth that much. You know? <laughs> like, Dang it. Another another Yankees middle reliever. <laughs> More likely, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. that's the long, long-term <laughs> outcome there. Yeah. We are going to go. We're going to continue this series, of course, over the next few weeks. If you've got questions for a future episode, you can send those our way. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the email address. As confessed on a previous episode, yes, I reduced the inbox to zero. Clean slate here as we look ahead to 2023. You can find Eno on Twitter at Enoceris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper if you're watching us on YouTube. Be sure to hit the like button. Subscribe to this channel on YouTube if you haven't done so already. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or somewhere else, we'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to do that. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, it's a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you next week. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.